following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. When I was in middle school or high school, I can't remember what it was. It was either late middle school, early high school, but I had math that had to get done. And that's where math becomes not just math, but you're getting into algebra, then, you know, all kinds of geometry and algebra two and all the fun math, right? And so I knew that that night I had a lot of homework to get done and I had saved math for last because math. But what happened was my parents, my dad being a pastor, my mom being on staff at at the church as well, would have a lot of meetings at night. So I knew if I could show them that I was getting a bunch of homework done up until they left around 6.30 to go up to their meetings that usually went from about seven to nine. And because of where I was, if they left, I'm at home either with Matt or with my sister or all three of us together, but they're not gonna come after me if I turn the TV on instead of doing my homework. And for some reason, Matt and Anna, my sister, either Anna was already in college and Matt was somewhere, but I was home alone. So I knew like a perfect safety zone. And so mom and dad, bye, yeah, no, I'm gonna do my homework, don't worry, I'll get it done. And they go out the door and I wait the right amount of time. And once they're gone, I sit down on the recliner, open up the armoire, and it's just me and Smallville for the next hour and a half. Because the way our living room was set up was when you pulled in the driveway, especially at night with the lights on, the lights would shine in to give you a warning that mom and dad were home. So I sat down and was watching whatever I was watching. And sure enough, the lights hit, boom. You hit the TV, turned off, close the armoire, run up the stairs, get into my bed, which is always, you know, where you do your homework. And I, you know, pull out my math book and I'm laying down and dad walks in. And I think, Scott free We got this, no problem. And he goes... Did you do your homework? And I'm like, still working on it right here, Dad. He goes, awesome. What's this? And I go, looks like a note card, Dad. You should be able to know that by this point in life. You know, I'm not, not judging, but it looks like a note card. He goes, yeah. So this was wedged between the doors of the armoire. And I said, I will ground myself. I understand what I have done. And I will, I will you know, I'll take this one on the chin. Because I knew, because somewhere in that story as well was the question before homework was, did you watch TV? Of course, which I said, no, of course not, Dad. Now, this was after years of, listen, like for those who might be a little bit younger than me, there was a point where like TVs would get hot. So my dad would come home and get real close to it, you know, and feel to figure out if you had been watching TV when you weren't supposed to be. But I got busted for that one, and I deserved it. And it's like the creativity of him figuring it out almost made it worth it to learn this lesson. But it was interesting because he knew. He trusted me enough to be at home. He trusted me enough to ask for me to do my homework. But he knew there was that potential in me to disobey and do what I wanted to do. And so he prepared ahead of time for me knowing who I was. 
Now that is a great moment by a father parenting a child. But today as we read and see what's happening in Luke 22 here is Jesus institutes today what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. He knew what we needed. Now my dad knew what I needed. He knew I needed to get my homework done, to learn my math, to be ready for the test, to do those things. So he prepared knowing he could teach me a lesson. Now what God knew is that we wouldn't learn the lesson. What Jesus does in instituting this meal for us is he knows that we are prone to look inside ourselves and do what we want as opposed to following him. His understanding of our human condition is so great that he understands even after he enters into our lives, after we are baptized and the spirit is present, that we have a penchant to chase down our own feelings, our own wants, our own desires. And so what he does is he sets up these sacraments, baptism, the Lord's Supper, to draw us back to him again and again and again. And he doesn't just start it here. It's this long story of how he has been caring for us over time. In our reading today, it talks about how he is taking the Passover meal with them. So this is the Passover, the commemoration of during the Exodus, the final plague of the angel of death that has come for the firstborn. But the people of God are passed over. And in fact, in that Passover, the way they are passed over is they are asked to sacrifice an unblemished lamb, which sounds strange until you start realizing this is God saying one of your greatest gifts in your household would be a young lamb that would grow and give you wool, give you meat, all of these things. So they're asked to make this sacrifice and take that blood and paint it over the door. And the angel of death passes over their homes. Now what's fascinating is this is not the end of what we'll call the sacrificial system. In fact, we find Jesus as he enters Jerusalem, the famous point where he turns over tables, where he builds a whip of cords and drives people out of the temple courtyards is because there was a point where there was this money exchange system in the temple where people would come in for high feasts, but there was a different type of money used in the temple, so you had to exchange your regular money for temple money so that you could buy these sacrifices to bring to the priests for your sins. But what happened was that was not what the system was supposed to be. God sets up in the Old Testament this sacrificial system to come to the temple, the place where God dwells, and give a sacrifice because what God wants his people understanding is that there will be a sacrifice for them that takes their sins. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament is not set up just to be something gruesome and gory and bloody, but is set up to point to the Messiah who is coming. 
And even in the Exodus, the lamb who had done nothing, who sacrificed for the angel of death to pass over, so too Jesus on the cross and his blood is the blood of that lamb to pass over us. The death we deserve to die is put on his shoulders and his blood washes us clean. And so throughout history, God has set this plan in motion. But it comes to fruition in this moment where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, where he comes together with his closest disciples and says, listen, this is what this is going to be. He said, this is my blood. This is my body given for you. This is for you. From me. You don't do this. I do. Now, I think it's fascinating as we read our scripture today, and, and the gospels all have kind of a different outlook on each of these, but I love that Luke mentions that Jesus says he knows the one who betrays him will be with him at the table. Now, we know this happens throughout the gospels. There's this explanation of, Joseph, or of Judas being there at the table with them. But I love that he says it here because Jesus builds out this meal of grace and forgiveness and he does it right next to the person who is going to betray him. He does it with the knowledge that betrayal is in the room. And so he still gives us this meal in the midst of that. And I think it's a great lesson for us to take and learn that this meal is given to us not as perfect people, but as people who are prone to wander. And so we take it every week, not because we say, God, we're here, look at what you're doing for us, but instead we come and this meal is a gift given to us where God shows us again and again. He says, look at what I am doing for you. Now we could take time and we could break down and go, okay, you know, we're talking about real presence where it is the body and blood, where it is bread and wine. How does that work? I don't know. And if I did, I would write a book about it and make a lot of money at least $100. But what we know is that there is a hidden God and a revealed God. That as we read scripture, God tells us what things are and we say, okay, sometimes we get a depth of knowledge that is a thousand feet deep and we get that. And sometimes we get, this is my body, this is my blood. And we trust Jesus at what he says, that that is what is revealed to us, so that's what we walk with. But what this meal does for us is just a multitude of blessing. 
Because the first thing is, it is that tangible point in our life where when we ask, could I possibly be forgiven? When we are struggling with identity, when we are trying to figure out who and whose we are, there is an anchor point for us every week where we can go back and say, in that meal, by body and blood, bread and wine, the savior of the universe gifts to me over and again the reminder of a physical presence that I am in the family, that I am his child, that this meal for me is a blessing. Because so often our temptation is to try and find an answer from God to these big questions. And he says, listen, I knew you were going to ask these things. I knew you were going to struggle. So here's the deal. Here is bread and wine given for you. Now, back then, the bread and the wine was probably locally sourced because that's what they had. There's nothing fancy about our bread and wine. The bread I order off Amazon when, and it's usually in the back of this room because someone's up here making communion and they go, Ted, we need more communion wafers. The last time it happened, Travis Plummer came and sat down next to me and go, did you make the order? I was like, no, I didn't. Thank you. It's nothing fancy. The wine is Manischewitz. And let me tell you, at the beginning of Narrative Church, Chelsea has some great stories of trying to get Manischewitz at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. You can't, right. But we needed it. I forget what we did that Sunday. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there was one Saturday night where I forgot that we needed it, and I ran to the gas station, and there wasn't Manischewitz, so I got Sutter Homes, and for about two weeks, I had people coming up to me going, I think the wine went bad. And I was like, nope. <laughs> I just was not on top of it, and decided we didn't need to have Sutter Homes for a third week. <laughs> but here's the thing, that doesn't matter. We could every week spend $1,000 on a bottle of wine, and it would be just as effective because the point is not about what it is. It's about saying bread and wine in that moment is the body and blood of Christ because it anchors us to him. The first blessing we get from this meal is that when we show up on Sunday mornings, it's not for us to sing some kind of praises that heaven is so excited that we gathered together. No, we gather together because we need him. We come together because he shows up. He has promised he's going to be present. Now, what's great about when God does this is that there are blessings upon blessings. In the book of James, it says, the father of lights is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And I love that poetic verse because it reminds me that when God gives a gift, it doesn't stop. Because when we come together around the bread and the wine, this amazing thing happens. 
that when the power of God is spoken over these elements, not only is it a delivery system for grace to us again and again so that we can touch, taste, and see that the Lord is good, but in that moment, we are united with the body of Christ throughout the ages and throughout the world. Because this meal is his gift to us. Why do we call it, you know, Lord's Supper, but why do we call it communion as well? We call it communion because it is us coming together. It is a union of the body of Christ throughout time and throughout place. We're coming up on Halloween, but I, I love that time of year, not because, you know, of all the Halloween stuff, but because November 1st is All Saints Day. And on November 1st, we remember those who have gone before us in the faith. On All Saints Day, I get to sit back and remember my teachers, my grandparents, the people who have impacted my faith, who are resting in the Lord until Jesus returns again. I get a chance to sit down on those mornings, and I intentionally sit down and just think and pray and give thanks for those people. In this meal, we are united with them again. Because they took it, and so we take it. And it brings us together in a way I can't explain except to say it is the blessing of God for us. That this meal transcends all of that because of the institution of what God has done for us. And I really can't tell you how it happens except to say, let's get as simple as it is to say, they took it, we take it, that unites us. But in that simplicity, there is a joy that even after his sacrifice on the cross, even after rising from the grave, Jesus would still give us gifts because this meal is not for him it's for us. When COVID hit, there was a move throughout the church to take communion. And I think it's because there was this longing to say, this unites us. Now, it happened even outside of our theological family. So in our Lutheran heritage, this is something that we do and for us here at Narrative, we do it every week. That was one of the things when we planted this church, we said, listen, if communion's important, then we're gonna do it all the time. But what I watched as everything was closing down, as there was this separation, especially in those first like six weeks when everyone was trying to figure it out. And there's a guy that Matt and I watch, he does a lot of like church tech stuff and social media, and it's, it's just good stuff because he really does a great job, and it gives Matt and I, you know, things to discuss and talk about, and 
like the organizational side of church. How do we do these things well? And I really enjoyed it. And I was watching one of his videos during this moment, and he said, yeah, my church did communion online this week, and they just said, grab whatever you had. So I had an Oreo and a Dr. Pepper, and I about banged my head against my desk. (laughs) Because what blew me away was in our faith background, we go, yes, communion. There's a reason we do this. There's a reason it unites us. And I'm watching people uh, across our country who don't share that same doctrinal background going, hey, we got to do this. We're all so separate. This is something that unites us. And I was getting pumped. I was like, this could be really cool. And then it was like an Oreo and a Dr. Pepper. And I'm like, so close. Because that desire is there for us as people of faith to join together, to share this meal, to grow. But why do we hear it narrative? Why do we use bread and wine and a little bit of grape juice? It's not because, like, there's some magical thing about those elements. But instead it's saying, listen, this is what Jesus used. So it's what we're going to use. We're going to make it as accessible as possible. That's why we have gluten-free. That's why we have a non-alcoholic option. Because listen, I can tell you, as the pastor of a mobile church, the amount of times I've had to rebuy white grape juice because I left it in my car and it started to ferment is more than I would like to admit, and definitely wasn't this week. It was this week. But we do these things because we say we come together as the body of Christ. This draws us together. In fact, the church in Corinth gets written to by Paul at one point to say, listen, you are separating people from the meal, and that's a bad Thing because the way things were set up um, at that time in the households they were worshiping in, if you had a big party, you would have a courtyard, which is kind of where everyone hung out, but then you'd have some kind of inner room, which is where all the cool people came, right? It was like riffraff in the courtyard, cool people in here. Well, what started happening was in their culture, they understood it that way. So when they would come together to worship and take the meal, they would go, all right, the rest of you out there, the important people are in here. And the important people were gorging themselves on the bread and the wine because they said, if this forgives us, then we want more of it. And Paul writes and goes, you dummies, this isn't how this works because another benefit of this meal is God does not care who you are. He does not care your skin color. He does not care your ethnic background. He does not care your socioeconomic level. He doesn't care your political party. He says, listen, if you are baptized, if you are following me and you are in need, this meal is for you. Now listen, we do some education on this especially with our kids as they're growing up, as the faith is becoming their own. Why do we talk about that? Why do we have that in the process? Because we say, listen, when you understand what God is doing in this meal for you, it is transformative for your life. I'll tell you, there are some Wednesday afternoons where I just sit down and I go, Lord, 
Thank you for reminding me of your grace on Sunday. Thank you for giving it to me physically because I am sitting here at my desk feeling completely unworthy and wondering, could you save someone like me? And this isn't abnormal to how God works. If you look throughout Scripture, you see that God will use physical things to bless his people throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. One of my joys of being a parent now is like the bedtime process. Now, I have to be very specific because it's like this window of the bedtime process because on the other sides of that, I start going, why did I do this, right? But there's this beautiful window in the middle, which is showers are done, you know, hair is brushed, PJs are on, and we get to the reading of books and Bible stories. And every once in a while, we'll read Bible stories, but sometimes I get the question, can you tell me a God story? And this last week, one of the God stories we did was when Jesus heals a blind man. And as he does that, he spits in the dirt and puts it on the eyes of the blind man before washing it off. And there's the miracle of sight, which is just one of the weirdest miracles ever, right? Because Jesus shows up, there's this discussion, he heals the blind man, but he does it in a way like, would any of you have expected? The savior of the universe, the son of God. And he goes, hold on, Hoxalugi mixes up dirt. Like we read it now with the benefit of going, we've heard the story, we know the story. Of course Jesus would do that. But I'm sure Peter is standing over there, leaning over to John going, what is happening? But I love it as this example because it's like, yeah, we can find a lot of theological reasons. Why dirt? Why this? Why that? But if you look at it simply and goes, God took a physical means, dirt, and he basically said, watch what I can do. That is the gift of this meal for us. As he takes bread and wine, and it's not fancy. And he says, watch what I can do. And my encouragement to you, week in and week out, is to come forward and say, as you come to the table, Lord, I am your son or daughter, and I am in need of your grace again. Because here's the thing, his grace has not departed you, but he just loves to lavish it upon you. So as you come to the table with a penitent heart, be blessed. Let this meal do what it does, which is deliver again and again and again the grace of God to you in a physical way. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that just like a parent here on earth who knows their children, you as our heavenly father and creator knew us. You knew that we would try to wander and run away. And so you give to us a meal that brings forgiveness again and again and again 
that our worship is a response to what you do, not some kind of way for us to, to cosmically fill your praise battery, but instead is a gift to us, to fill us with the awe and wonder of living in grace. And Lord, as a physical people of spirit and body, we thank you that you would deliver that grace to us in a physical means. We thank you that it joins us together with the body of Christ, that we get to rejoice in this beautiful mystery for us. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.